to the Gospel of Luke. Sorry. <laughs> it doesn't work unless you turn it on. So as we are in this series looking at these ten different individuals, these ten different interactions the Savior has, I, I'm anticipating that God is going to produce fruit Bless our time in the Word together. Let, let me tell you some of the things that I'm praying for in this series. Number one, most of all, I want us as a result of going through Luke and looking at these stories of Christ to know the Savior. To know Him more. There is no more important person in all of history and there is no more important relationship than that with Christ. Jesus said in John 17, This is eternal life, that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. So I'm praying that as we go through the, the Gospel of Luke, we might encounter the Savior. We might know Him better in a real and life-changing way. The Gospel of Luke, like the bulk of the Bible tells the truths of God through story. It's truth in story form. Most of the Bible is that way. While we're glad that sections of the Bible contain explicit, direct instruction, direct teaching and truth, much of the Bible, most of the Bible, brings truth, brings the person of Christ, brings God Himself through story. And the Gospel of Luke is no exception. I believe that's because God understands who we are. He understands relationship. And He knows to get a true sense of somebody and a true sense of the truth, we need story to fill things out. And I believe it is as we read the stories of the Bible that we get a sense of the truth and a sense of the proportion of the truth. We get a sense, an intuitive sense even, of who God is and what He's like, and what it means to relate to Him. So as we go through these stories, I'm trusting that God will use these wonderful accounts, these stories of Jesus' interactions, that we might encounter Him, that we might know Him, and that we might know Him in a mature way. Luke did his homework in this Gospel. It says in the beginning of the Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken..." 
to compile a narrative of the things, a story of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke did his homework in preparing this Gospel. It's actually the longest of the four Gospels. In my Bible, it's 37 pages. Matthew's 31, John's 27, and Mark is 21 pages. So Luke went and gathered the different stories, the different accounts, and, and not only the, some of the same stories that are in Matthew and Mark, but additional stories. It appears that the first section of the Gospel of Luke, the accounts of Jesus' infancy and childhood, are, are certainly they're unique to that Gospel, but it seems that scholars look at those words, it seems that it's a translation from an Aramaic story. So he went perhaps to Mary herself and, and others in Israel and got the stories or, or, pass, or got the stories passed on and put them in the Gospel of Luke for us. So it's a masterful collection of all these wonderful stories for us. Again, the purpose of the story is not just more information. The purpose of the story is to know Christ and in knowing Him to be changed. Luke has a special sensitivity to the Savior as the one who came to seek and save the lost. He has a special sensitivity in his Gospel to the Savior as the one who came to seek and save the lost. Really, the, the climax or the central statement of the Gospel of Luke is in Luke 19. 19.10. I think that's in your bulletin for the memory verse for this week. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So as we look through this Gospel, and we're going to get into this specific chapter 4 in a few minutes, but I want to give you some background. As we look through this Gospel, we see Jesus interacting with lost people. With people who need to be rescued. People who are really outcasts in society. Luke highlights these things. So we see Him relating to known sinners and prostitutes. Tax collectors, lepers, Samaritans, women and children. And in that day, women and children were really second class citizens. And there's wonderful examples of his interaction. We see him go over to the house of Zacchaeus, actually to invite himself over Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, the vertically challenged tax collector who climbs up in the tree? And Jesus comes up to him and says, I'm going to your house. I mean, that, that, was, that was radical. In that day, tax collectors were also thieves. They didn't, not only did an honest trade of collecting taxes, and it is an honest trade, but they pilfered and demanded more. So this guy was a thief and a cheat, and yet Jesus says, I'm going to your house. So Jesus reaches out to the outcast. We see him in Luke chapter 7 receiving the grateful worship, the intimate worship of a prostitute. And he allows her to, to touch him to weep at his feet and to wipe his feet with her hair. This is a prostitute, a known prostitute. He's receiving the worship of an outcast, reaching out. We see him reach out and touch a leper in chapter 5. You don't touch lepers. You don't go near lepers. Lepers had to, whenever they went in public, had to yell, unclean, unclean, so no one would come near him. Jesus reaches out, touches a leper, heals a leper. So there's all these wonderful stories. Luke highlights his, Jesus' interactions with women. 
He receives the support of women in Luke 18 and, and ministers to many women. Luke highlights this. He, he mentions the blessing of children in Luke 18. So we see Christ as He really is through Luke as the seeker and save, Savior of the lost. Those words actually, the words save and Savior and salvation occur with great frequency in the book of Luke. Actually, the words Savior and salvation among the four Gospels, those words are unique to Luke. Luke alone uses those words in speaking of the Savior. So, I want us to know better this Savior as we go through Luke. And that's one of my prayers. I want you guys, I want us to know Him this way. And I want us to put ourselves in the stories. I want us to enter into the stories and see that not only was that person in the story a sinner and an outcast who needed Christ, but I myself am one as well. And a matter of fact, the most needy sinner, the most desperate one for a Savior, the most unworthy sinner is not the one in this book. It's the one I look at in the mirror every morning. And I need a Savior. We need a Savior, just like the people in the book. So I want us to enter in and see that and experience a fresh encounter with Christ as Savior. As we go through this and as you meditate on these truths and perhaps as you spend your devotional time during the morning throughout the week in Luke, that you and I, that we would encounter the Savior. So that's my other prayer that we would have fresh encounters with the Savior. He's real. He's not only the Savior, the seeker and Savior savior of the lost in the book, but He is today. And He wants to encounter us. He wants to manifest His presence and His truth to us. So I'm praying for multiple encounters with the Savior as we go through this series. And I don't want to end just there. As good as that is as good as it is to recognize our desperate need, as good as it is to come to Him and experience forgiveness and His presence and His goodness and His guidance, as good as that is, I don't want to end there. Because I think the Gospel of Luke was given also that as we encounter the Savior and see Him as the seeker and saver of the lost, that we ourselves would be changed in our attitude towards the lost. That we would see ourselves transformed. That we would see our own hearts burdened with the same deep compassion that the Savior has. And that not only will our hearts be burdened, but we'll find in these truths by the power of the Spirit the ability to step beyond our fear of man and to reach out to others. And to pray. And to share. And to demonstrate the love of God through our lives. That's what I'm praying. That's what I'm praying for my life. God is able to do that. And the way He does that is through His Word, by the Spirit. And I need, I need this. I need the Savior. I need Him to encounter me. I need to be changed. Just last night I was at a party uh, my high school, one of my best friends from high school had. And uh, it's been years, really, since I've interacted with him. 
And I was just freshly aware of God's heart for my friends and my need to be more like Him. My need to be involved in His life and others' lives and to share the wonderful news that I've encountered and experienced. So, maybe it's just because I'm selfishly wanting to grow myself in these that I've chosen Luke, but I think it's more. I want all of us to be changed by the Savior through this, His Word, by the Spirit, through this series. And I think He wants it too. I think He's got some things in store for us in this series. We're going to be going through it until just past Christmas time, going through these ten different people. And I think God's going to work some things. That's my prayer. I trust that it's yours as well. So with this in mind, and as we jump into this text this morning, let's go before the Lord and ask Him for help. Lord, we, we need Your help. Lord, we ask You, God, to come and, and be here with us to use Your Word, to work through Your Word by the power of Your Spirit, Lord God, that You would encounter us, that we would see You afresh, we would see Your mercy and Your goodness and Your kindness, that You are the seeker, ultimately the, the true seeker, the only seeker of the lost, and You are the saver of the lost. Lord, may we see You as this, and may we see that we are the lost who need to be rescued. May we have a fresh encounter and fresh encounters with You through this series, O oh God, and even today. And Lord, may You change us. Lord, we want to grow. We want to be like You. We want to be agents of Your redemptive purposes and plans and activity. Because You have not stopped just with these things in Luke. You're still working, saving many. So use us, God. Change us. And Lord, use this time as we encounter Your Word by the power of Your Spirit through a weak and sinful vessel, Lord, to work these mighty, miraculous things, we pray. Even today, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let's take a look at chapter 4. I'll read verses 14 to 21 to start off. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it says in verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about Him went out through all the surrounding country. And He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And He came to Nazareth, where He had been brought up. And as was His custom, He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll 
and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. It's Luke 14 to 20, 21. So what's going on here? Jesus has actually been ministering about a year, but not with much notoriety. He's been involved with some actually miracles, the wedding at Cana, changing the water into wine, and some healing. Actually, the first cleansing of the temple had gone on, so there is some notoriety attached with him at this point. And... He's walking in the power of the Spirit. He's already been baptized. He's gone through the temptation. He's coming to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And He comes to His hometown. Starting His ministry, He comes to His hometown of Galilee. And it says in the text that the news about Him had gone ahead and all were glorifying Him. There was wide acclaim attached to His name. People were hearing about Him in His hometown. His Neighbors and the people he grew up with were hearing about Jesus doing all this stuff. And he shows up in the hometown. And it's a Sabbath day. And he's there in the synagogue. The synagogue he probably had grown up going to with the elders that he had known since he was a boy and the neighbors, his peers, all there in the synagogue. Listen how Alfred... Edersheim describes it. Sabbath morn dawned, and early he repaired to that synagogue where as a child, a youth, a man, he had so often worshipped, and the humble retirement of his rank, sitting not up there among the elders and the honored, but far back. The old well-known faces were around him. The old well-remembered words and services fell on his ear. How different they had always been to him then than they were to others with whom he had thus mingled in common worship. And now he was again among them, truly a stranger among his own countrymen. This time to be looked at, listened to, tested, tried, used or cast aside as the case might be. It was the first time, so far as we know, that he taught in a synagogue, in this synagogue, that of his own Nazareth. So he comes into the synagogue and on the Sabbath it was a, a, a worship time. They would have numerous prayers and, and as the reader from the prophets, he probably led some of those prayers. There would be numerous prayers and he was asked to be basically the rabbi of the day to bring the message. They would read from the law and then they would read from the prophets and then the, the guy who read from the prophets would, would expound. So he's there and all his old friends and relatives probably are there. And as the Rabbi of the day, with all this notoriety, he's the hometown kid, come back. Amazingly, he's given Isaiah the scroll of Isaiah to read. In God's providence. And, and he picks Isaiah 61 to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a passage that was well known to the Jews. 
It was a passage in a section in Isaiah. I think Jeff read from an earlier section. But a section of Isaiah that's just full of promises. These were promises made to the people of Israel in the time of Isaiah through his prophetic ministry in a time when they were, the Israel was being disciplined for their sin. And ultimately they were exiled. And for Israel that was the ultimate punishment to be set apart out of the promised land, away from the presence of God. And so God made promises to them in this section in Isaiah. And so there's just these these pregnant promises of redemption, these full promises of redemption here in Isaiah 61 being one of them. And not only a promise of redemption from their exile and their discipline, but ultimately a promise of full redemption from sin and a promise of a future Messiah, a future Deliverer who would come. And so Jesus picks this one to read. This passage that tells us so much about who He is and why He came. And Luke chose this episode to highlight and to put at the beginning of the description of Jesus' ministry so we would understand who He is, what His ministry is about. And so He reads it and He would have read standing up and then the teacher would actually sit down when it was time to teach. I kind of like that idea, sitting down, but I don't know. I've heard you pay attention better when you stand, so I probably need to stand to keep my train of thought better. But anyhow, he would sit down, so he, he reads it. And just think of what it would be like. These are people who know him. It's full. It's probably a room maybe around this size, full of people. Full of people he knew. They've heard about him. They've heard about the miracles. I mean, they would have probably heard about him clearing the temple. That was a very controversial thing to do. The hometown boy. I mean, his mom and his brothers and sisters are there, probably in the synagogue. And he's come back and they've made him the rabbi of the day. And he reads his passage. And he sits down and it says all the eyes were fixed on him. They're thinking, what's next? What's he going to do? What does he say? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He makes an amazing pronouncement. Isaiah 61, the, the promise of the Messiah, the promise of redemption, the fulfillment of all God's promises to redeem His people is fulfilled that day through Him. And then He went on probably from there to, to give some, a message or whatever and there's some interactions that go on. But it was a bold, amazing statement that he made. Before we get into the reaction of the people, I want to back up a little bit and talk about what was going on, what this meant, and what it means for us, why God has it in the Gospel of Luke for us today. There's four things I want to say. One is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost as promised. Two, Jesus came to seek and save the lost as demonstrated. Three, Jesus came to seek and save the lost for today. And four, Jesus came to seek and save the lost for you. As promised, as demonstrated for today, for you. This passage in Isaiah 61, and as recorded in Luke, 
starts out, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Gospel of Luke in, in the book of Acts, which is the second book, is full of accounts of the ministry of the Spirit. So Jesus reads this. It talks about that He came to Galilee full of the Spirit. So He comes as one who's full of the Spirit. He's anointed. It says, because He has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. That's where the word Messiah comes from. Messiah means anointed. That's where the word Christ comes from. Christ means anointed. When we say Jesus Christ, His last name wasn't Christ. They didn't have last names back then. We say Actually, they would have said Yeshua, Joshua, the anointed. And Joshua means Savior. And anointed means the Christ, the King. It really means Jesus Christ means Savior and Lord. And so He's the anointed one. He's come in the power of the Spirit. He is the Messiah. That's what He's saying to these folks, to His hometown crowd. Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because God has anointed me. I am the Messiah. What has He anointed the Messiah to do, though? What does Isaiah 61 say? To proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The anointing on the Messiah is to come as a rescuer of the oppressed and the outcasts. That's what the anointing is for. The anointing is so that He can say, good news! There's some good news for you. There's release for the captives. But not only to proclaim it, the Gospel, that's what the Gospel is. Actually, the word proclaim the good news in the original language is, I come, the Messiah comes to Gospelize. To proclaim the good news. So He comes to proclaim the good news and to bring the good news. To not only pro- fulfill the promise of the good news and proclaim the fulfillment of it, to, but to bring it as the Messiah. To come to seek and save the lost. So right at the beginning, Jesus declares the ministry of the Messiah is to seek and save the lost. Take a look at Isaiah 61 if you're in your Bibles. Go about, if you go right to the middle of your Bible, open it up. You are going to be around the Psalms. Around, if you're not in the Psalms, take a right-hand turn into Isaiah. It's a big book, so go to chapter 61 right near the end. And let's take a look at the verse that he quoted. In particular, let's look at verse 2. Verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointed me to bring good news, sent me to bind up the broken heart, proclaim liberty to the captives. Verse 2, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's where Jesus ends. He stops right there. What's the next verse? In the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus stopped at that point because today in Nazareth it's the year of the Lord's favor. And today in Methuen, the Merrimack Valley, it's the year of the Lord's favor. And later on in Isaiah, it describes the day of vengeance. The day of vengeance is future. The day of vengeance is what comes when He returns. And the, the year of the Lord's favor, in a sense, is over. Vengeance comes. God comes to, to judge, to finalize everything, to judge those who have fled to the seeker and savior of the lost and those who have rejected Him. 
and walked in their sin. And He will inflict vengeance, punishment, just punishment on those who have turned from Him. But today is the year of the Lord's favor. And so Jesus has been anointed to proclaim that today it's the year of the Lord's favor. There's good news right now. There's bad news later on, but there's good news right now. The good news of rescue of sinners, of rescue of the outcasts. And so the rest of the Gospel of Luke is about Jesus doing just that. Rescuing the outcasts. His ministry is to rescue the outcasts. Ultimately fulfilled in His death and resurrection. That's what the Messiah is about. Rescuing the lost. And that's what this age is about. Him through the church now rescuing the lost. Jesus is the seeker and saver of the lost. That's what today's about. It's the year of the Lord's favor. This year of the Lord's favor seems to point to a practice that God called Israel to. It's called the year of Jubilee. Anyone ever heard about that? The year of Jubilee? Every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, basically all slaves were set free. All Israelite slaves were set free. All debts were canceled, period. All inheritances were restored. So what might happen in those 50 years, sometimes people would sell the family farm to get out of debt. In the year of Jubilee, they went back. It was a wonderful year. And in that year, they were to rest. They weren't to work. It was to be a whole year of Sabbath and just to eat what came off the land from God's blessing. There's actually, sadly, there's no evidence that Israel ever celebrated the year of Jubilee. But the Messiah comes. Jesus comes to Nazareth, His hometown. Reads Isaiah 61. Says, today, this has been fulfilled. Now, it's the year of the Lord's favor. If you have debts, they're canceled. Your inheritance is restored. We spent time in Genesis and we know about the intention God had for mankind to dwell in the garden, to enjoy His presence and worship forever. That's the inheritance that God would have for mankind. Inheritances are restored in the year of the Lord's favor. That's what He's come for. That's what He's come to do to bring those things. And again, the Gospel of Luke demonstrates this and Christ ultimately fulfills this in His death and resurrection. And the question for us today and through this whole series is, do you need somebody to cancel your debts? And some of us probably need it financially. But there's a greater debt the Bible speaks about. The debt of our sin to God. And He comes as the seeker and saver of the lost to come to those who are in debt. The debt of sin against the holy God, a good God. No excuse to cancel that debt through His death and resurrection and to restore our inheritance. And the question again for us is, are we those who need such a Savior to come and to cancel our debts, to grant us an inheritance that we have squandered? I trust we are. So He came according to the promise of Isaiah 61 to seek and to save the lost as the Anointed One, as the Messiah, to accomplish this purpose. Yes, there is a future time when He will judge the living and the dead. He will judge everybody. The day of vengeance is future. But now it's the year of the Lord's favor. Now it's the day of salvation. Now we can come to Him daily as the Savior and as Lord. Now we are to proclaim the good news to all that they might come and experience this. 
And we know, again, seen through Luke, he demonstrated this. Ultimately, his death on the cross fulfilled this. He said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In order to pay that debt, someone had to pay it. There's a debt. Wages of sin. What we pay for sin is death. Separation from God. God's just. He has to do it. He's good. He's declared it from the beginning. And we know it in our own hearts, intuitively. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God. And ultimately, eternal separation from God. There's punishment. Someone has to pay the debt. Christ on the cross paid our debt. He went to the cross, bore our sins, paid God's just requirements for it, so that all who come to Him, turning from their sin and saying, I need a Savior. I need someone to rescue me, to get me out of this. I'm a sinner and I don't want to be a sinner. I want to follow You. For each one who comes, each one who comes in the Gospel of Luke, each one who comes today, there's forgiveness. And there's an inheritance awaiting us of walking with Him, experiencing this eternal life now, of knowing Him and walking in His ways, and a future of doing that forever and enjoying Him forever. He demonstrated that through His death and resurrection. The Gospels actually go through the ministry of Christ His two years or three years and hit on stories and then spend a disproportionate amount of time talking about the last week because that is such an important aspect of the Messiah's mission to come to seek to save the lost. So He's come to seek and save the lost as promised. He's come to seek and save the lost as demonstrated and we will see it demonstrated more and more as we go through Luke. He's coming to, to seek and to save the lost for today. The Gospel of Luke uses this phrase today throughout the Gospel. Jesus says, Today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Later on, when He invites Himself over Zacchaeus' house and Zacchaeus encounters the Savior, repents of his theft and dishonesty, comes to the Savior. I mean, it's a wonderful story. We'll get to it in Luke 19. Jesus says, Today, salvation has come to this house. And then later on, in the thief on the cross, the thief recognizes he's a sinner and he has no excuse. He has no hope in himself. But he sees that this is the Messiah. And he says, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. See, this seeking and saving is a today salvation. If I came and I said to you, today salvation has come to King of Grace, what would you think? You'd think, it's here. It's now. It's real. It's among us. And it is. And Jesus comes to be the seeker and saver of the lost, to bring salvation today, that we might experience it, that we might know it, that we might know the wonder of salvation, that we would feel just the way Zacchaeus must have felt on that day when Christ said, today salvation has come to this house. That is to be our experience. And not just 20 years ago, on that day, that we first knew 
salvation had come to us. But this day and every day, that's why we keep the Gospel central because that is to be our experience. Salvation is not just something past. It's present. Every day we need a Savior. And we are secure in Him, yes. And preserved in Him, yes. But we are to experience the wonder. I have a Savior today. May we, through going through Luke, by the ministry of the Spirit, be refreshed and wake up every morning even, saying, today I'm experiencing salvation. Today salvation has come to my life and to my household. May we know the impact every day. It's not to be just a day 20 years ago, but today. Luke teaches us that. Finally, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost for you. For us. He's come as Messiah. He's come to fulfill Isaiah 61 for you. For me. And through story, God brings that challenge to us over and over again through Luke. So these stories we read and the characters and what they do, it's just not to be kind of a cool story. It's meant to ask questions of us. And so let's read the rest of the interaction with that in mind as he interacts with the people in his hometown. He says, Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 22, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff but passing through their midst, he went away. What a tragedy. Imagine it caused the Savior pain to watch this interaction. To watch the response of his hometown. Perhaps his dear friends. They basically said, isn't this Joseph's boy? I mean, who does he think he is? Are you really such a big shot? Do it here. And they got indignant with him. They probably were mumbling a lot of things. There probably was, Jesus was probably expounding on this truth somewhat. And he, these things were getting mumbled and heard the 
mumbling of the crowd, and eventually he addressed them. He knew what they were saying. He knew it was in their hearts. And he addresses them. Do you think that he addressed them that way just because he liked a good fight? Just kind of fun, the sport of debate and getting people riled up. He just knew, hey, I know I can press their buttons. I'll press them with this one. I don't think so. I think he responded to them that way to rebuke and to give them an opportunity to see who they were and who they needed to be. You see, as Jesus comes as the seeker and saver of the lost, there's only certain types of people that receive Him. He comes throughout the Gospel of Luke to be the seeker and saver of the outcasts. Of those who recognize they need a Savior. The problem with His hometown, they weren't recognizing they needed a Savior. And they would not humble themselves before their neighborhood boy. To some degree, they probably were self-satisfied and saw themselves as special in God's eyes. And to be compared with a Gentile who was clearly an outcast, clearly not worthy, was an insult. And yet Jesus, through this story, says, that's exactly who I come for. There were many people in Israel in those days. Do you guys know those stories of the widow of Zarephath and and Naaman, the widow of Zarephath, lived, she was not a Jew. She lived outside of the kingdom. And, and there was a severe famine going on and she was collecting sticks to make the last meal. To, she didn't eat sticks. That was to burn the fire, to make the food. She was going to eat the last bit of food. And Elijah came up and said, can you give me that food? And she said, this is our last meal. I'm making it for my son. We're going to die. And Elijah says, don't fear. Make the meal. For me, and then God's going to provide for you. And she did. Made the meal for Elijah, and then God basically kept on filling their bowls of flour and oil throughout the whole famine. Blessed them. She came in faith and humility, giving preference to Elijah and really to the God of Elijah. God was interested in saving such an outcast who came to him in humble faith. The story of Naaman. Naaman's a general and an enemy territory, actually. And he's got leprosy. And his servant is a Jew and, and says, hey, there's a prophet, Elisha, God uses to heal. And so he goes, and he goes to Elisha. Actually, Elisha doesn't even come out of his house. He said, go off and cleanse yourself, dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman, you know, he's a, a general. He's a, a big guy. And, and he's like, he gets irate. What? We've got rivers in my hometown, that, I mean, in my home kingdom that are way better than the Jordan. What's this about? And he, he's ready to leave and go back home. And the servant says, please, do this. Please, it's just dipping in the river. It's not a big deal. So Naaman humbles himself, dips himself in the river seven times. The seventh time he comes out, his skin is like that of a young boy. Refreshed. He humbled himself. Jesus is telling these stories to get at the people in his hometown, to say, you need to be like this. God comes to outcasts who recognize their need. Your position as Israelites is not your security. What is your security is your recognition that you need a Savior and you run to Him. And they won't receive it. They get angry. 
And it's sad to see how angry they get. They go to drive him out of town. Not only that, but mob violence to take him and throw him off a cliff. And somehow Jesus, Jesus escapes through their midst. We don't know. He's able to escape through their midst. What a tragedy. They rejected the Savior. This story, again, is here for a reason. It's here to teach us something today. What sort of people does the seeker and savior of the lost come to? What sort of people find Him to be the Messiah? Those who recognize their outcasts. Those who recognize they need someone to rescue them. Those who are humble, like Naaman. Those who place their faith in another, like the widow. Jesus does not come to rescue the self-satisfied. He does not come to rescue the self-satisfied. Those who are content in themselves, He does not come to rescue. And so the question for us, believer or not, do you need a Savior? Or are you self-satisfied? Are you desperate for a Savior? Are you desperate to have your sins cleansed? Are you desperate to have your life transformed by the Savior? To be changed? To be rescued from your sin? He comes to such as those. But He does not come to the self-satisfied. Matter of fact, the self-satisfied do what His hometown did. They reject Him. Matter of fact, their rejection might even get so intense that they would, if He were around, try to kill Him. The self-satisfied find Jesus insulting. They find Him insulting because He's come to rescue the outcasts. He's come to rescue those who don't have a chance. He's come to die for their sins on the cross. That is insulting. Because what it says is you are a sinner who deserves death and separation from God. We don't like to hear that. But to those who humble themselves and recognize, yes, it's true. I'm a sinner. I need Him. If the band could come up as we get ready to close. For me, I remember when I was in high school and I was a pretty devout religious person. I was brought up Roman Catholic, very devout. Went to Sunday school through high school. You didn't have to back, or you still don't have to, past ninth grade. I was kept on going. I don't know why. But I remember one Sunday afternoon or evening it was actually, they had a group come and share their testimonies. And there was one young man, probably a few years older than me. I was a junior in high school, I think. And he got up there and he talked about all the trouble he had been in. On drugs, criminal trouble, different things. And he talked about how Christ had come and changed his life and rescued him. And sad to say, at that moment, I was like the Nazarenes. I said, what a loser. What a loser. I mean, he's in trouble. Getting in trouble with the police. He's doing drugs. He's running with the boys. You know, what an idiot. He need, that sort of guy needs a Savior. And I was right. Sadly, I didn't look at my own life and recognize I was doing the exact same stuff. The exact same stuff. I was like the Nazarenes. I was self-satisfied. If someone said... Paul, do you want to hear about Christ? I would have said, no, I'm all set. I wouldn't have recognized that I needed a Savior. As we go through Luke, I want us to recognize we need a Savior.
We need someone to rescue us. I want us not to be like I was at that moment, but by God's grace later on. I mean, what a contrast. Within a year, I was a blubbering mess when I came to know Christ. It was embarrassing. My family didn't know what to do with me because I was crying and what a difference from the supposed tough guy the year before. But that's the sort of person the Savior comes to. That's the sort of person that He seeks and saves. Those that recognize they need a Savior. They need hope. They need help. And so for us, the question is, do you need a Savior? Are you more like the widow in Naaman or like the Nazarenes? Have you grown so familiar with Jesus that He is no longer your Savior truly? Though you would say He is, if asked, yes, He's my Savior, He's my Lord. But functionally, what it means to you day by day, have you grown so familiar with Him that He's no longer your Savior? He's just a normal part of life. He's just another commodity in your life to be accessed when you need it, when you need Him. Nothing wrong with coming to Him when you need Him. But is that all He is? Or is He, for you, the One who comes to rescue you in your desperation? The One who comes to rescue the outcast? Who rescues the sinner? The One who needs Him? That's what He wants for us. That's what He wants through the Gospel of Luke. He wants us to come to Him that way and be changed and experience a freshness in our salvation and the same freshness to impart a zeal to tell others about the Savior. Because they need Him too. We need Him every day and they need Him every day. If we want to be motivated to tell others that they need a Savior, then we ourselves must be aware of how much we need a Savior. So may our time in the Gospel of Luke refresh us in these things and may we run to Him and find Him as Savior and as our King and Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask You to come and do this, Lord. We ask You, Spirit of God, to minister among us and to Your people to take the truth in Luke, the truth of Your Word, O God, and in power touch our lives and our minds, our hearts. That Jesus, every morning, we might say, today, salvation has come to my life. And I am so glad that Jesus is the seeker and saver of the lost because I'm lost without Him. But He's come and He's rescued me. I'm forgiven. I belong to Him. I'm so glad. And I want to be like Him. And I want to tell others the good news. So do these things, we pray, O oh God, for Your glory. Because You're good. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.